Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Film Odyssey Podcast, where me and my brother trek through cinema on a quest to find the best film ever made. This season, we begin our journey by counting down the AFI Top 100 Best Films of All Time. And this week, we're watching 12 Angry Men. So, uh, Randy, this movie's title kind of sounds like a gay porn, right? Shut the fuck up. I'm sorry. I had a, I, that's the joke everyone makes about this movie, right? There's no way. There's no I don't believe that for a second. I mean, it's the meme, though. Okay, dude. Okay, but 12 Angry Men. But 12 Angry Men, yes. It's such an amazing movie. It still holds up after all this time. It's such a simple premise, but... It's man, a it's simple so movie, good. too. This movie, on paper, should not work. We're gonna have 12 dudes in a room. They're just gonna talk. They're never gonna leave the room. They're just gonna yell at each other. No flashy camera stuff. We, we don't even see, like out the window very much it's no but it's a masterpiece yes it is a masterpiece it's, it's so good all the characters work so well together even the ones that don't have very many lines you know it's just when like they talk it fucking matters well it matters right and you like all these little inferences like when they change their vote you know it like gives you an idea of like what kind of person they are and like you know why they changed it and like personal background you know even though it's like it's not actually there, but it's there. It's it's there. It's there, you know? The story this movie tells goes beyond just, like, what happens on screen. Because it, it lets you know, like, little background things about all the characters, but only through, like, inference, you know? And the other thing is, you don't even know any of their names. They're just juror, juror yeah. one, juror two, juror three. And every time they open their mouths, you learn a little bit more about them, a little bit more about them. Mm -hmm. Even how they respond to other people... And even when people insult them, you learn something. Yes. It's the thing where it's like, in, in a court, you know, I'm not seeing the whole truth, but I'm getting some a part of the truth, and you're yes. building a, the characters up in your mind. It's, oh, Kino. But, uh, yeah, should I just start telling everybody what this movie's about? Yeah, yeah. All right, everyone. So, this movie, the plot. Inside a hot jury room in New York City, 12 men decide the fate of an impoverished 18-year-old boy charged with the murder of his father. For the boy to be sent to the electric chair, a unanimous vote must be reached, and it almost is, except for one juror who refuses to bend under the unrelenting pressure until the case is truly discussed, and the boy's guilt can be proven beyond a reasonable doubt. And, and, and like spoiler alert, he's found not guilty, right? Unanimously, unanimously. But we don't even know if he was innocent. We don't. We just know that there was enough doubt to say he wasn't completely guilty the doubt you could say was reasonable it's a fascinating movie it is a fascinating movie and are you with henry fonda from the beginning with yeah i mean that's just kind of the person i am you know you can only know the like extent of your own ignorance you, you can't know things mm. for sure you know like so for me like reasonable about doubt is like a pretty easy thing to obtain i would be the henry fonda person being like well, wait a minute you know we can at least talk about it. We got two eyewitnesses. We got the weapon. We have he has a shitty alibi. We have the weapon, and then Henry Fonda the takes out the knife and stabs it on the table as like the big, huge, like oh Ooh, shit, shit moment. You there's know? like there's like fifteen oh shit moments in Yeah, here, but that's right? the biggest one. That they is make the, the biggest one. They make the biggest thing out of that one. And it is just it's such a good moment in the movie. Everybody's like all up on their feet being like, Whoa, what oh, is this? That's the one that changes the initial votes, yes. right? Well, not the initial votes. He gets the old guy on first, and then that happens. Yeah. And then it, like, gets a couple more people, you know? Just a little bit more, a little bit more. But yeah, that's one of those things where 
it's weird because it's it's all in one room and it's really hard for me to break down the flow of the story when you think about it because it's just a long debate. It's a long debate and like all the different pieces of evidence of the case get brought out over time and scrutinized and the characters kind of like pick at it one by one all the all the little details of the like case you know it like this this movie basically gets played out to where it's like you get both a um courtroom drama and a murder mystery all in one (laughs) (laughs) it's really true it's really true I think this is called one of, if not the greatest, courtroom dramas of all time. I don't think it takes place in a courtroom. It doesn't. It takes place in a jury room. Mm -hmm. Where the actual cases are decided. Exactly. I keep coming back to this. Like, on paper, this movie should not be as good as it is. Like, when you look at it, it looks like a a TV show. Or it looks like a TV episode. Or it looks like it could be like like a stage drama. Exactly. Actually, so here's an interesting point. Going into the whole production and history of this film... So, this was written by Reginald Rose. He wrote the screenplay for 12 Angry Men and was initially produced for television. And it was broadcasted for CBS on Studio One, which was this kind of like um, anthology variety drama TV show. Okay. It's where um, Rod Serling got his start before he started doing Twilight Zone. Ah. So, this comes out in 1954. And the TV production is so successful, they want a film adaptation. So, Sidney Met who at the time was only a TV director, was brought really? on. Yes, this is his first feature film. <laughs> wow. First feature film, and Henry Fonda and Rose come in, the screenplay writer, to produce the film. This is the only film either of them has a producing credit, mm-hmm. and they all get together, they shoot this, and when it comes out, after rigorous rehearsals and all that stuff being filmed in New York, it doesn't do all that well. Which is, really? Yeah, this is kind of the interesting thing about reception, where the critics were there for it, but the box office wants it. Uh... The critics really liked it. They said it was the best drama of the year. It was a tour de force of story, performances, themes, and the problem with the finances. So this movie cost uh, three hundred grand to make, equivalent to about $3 million today. Holy shit. Exactly. And it made $2 million, which would make $20 million today. But the thing is, it made most of that overseas, not in America. Um, and it really got successful in America in like the 60s and 70s when it got on TV. That's when it found its audience. And it still didn't stop it from getting nominated for three Oscars. Best Director, Film, and Screenplay. It lost all of them. But it won overseas in Berlin, London, and Tokyo in all their like big prestigious international film festivals oh, it really? won all there oh wow yeah for directors for actors and for film it won all those kinds of awards that year just not here hmm. which is kind of weird when you yeah, think about it it's kind of strange a lot of people credit it with this was done in 1957 yeah and it was in black and white by that time films were being done in color yeah and that was the new like crazy you know oh your your big budget film you know that your uh, shit has to be color it I has see. to look nice and I this see kind of has a tv production equality to it where it feels like like i'm watching it it feels like a set on like the twilight zone and it doesn't i got the same feeling i got the same feeling it looked like an extended twilight zone episode you exactly. know <laughs> and, it, and it doesn't help that half the guys in this are on twilight zone episodes <laughs> like every last one of them because i think besides henry fonda all the rest of these actors were tv actors henry fonda took a giant pay cut to make this movie really oh yeah still cost them fucking three hundred thousand dollars to make i mean granted they did i think it was 
five weeks of rehearsal time, maybe more. No, I think it was oh, like wow. two months of rehearsal time. Jesus. And then they shoot this and it took them three weeks. God. Wow. I, I mean, for how simple the movie seems, you know, they really put a lot of effort into it. I mean, just to go on another fact about the production, Sin Lunamed, if you notice in the movie, it starts with the camera at this really wide angle lens and it's really high up and it shows all the characters really like together because they're all these men just thrown into a room. And as the movie progresses, the angle of the camera moves down and the focal length tightens up. So by the end of the movie, it's this long lens and it's really tight on these characters. So they're basically shot in singles for the last section of the movie. And it's one of those things where it's like, as the point is getting made, this mob mentality is getting focused onto this one guy who's the holdout. Whereas before it's Henry Fonda in this sea of, you know, it, as C, these people against him, and then it comes down to Lee Cobb as the only holdout. And it's a really interesting, like, technical thing done in the movie. Yeah. But it also added, you know, probably, like, that's why it's three fucking weeks long. True, true. Yeah. Gotta do all the all the reshooting and whatnot. Yeah. But where do you want to start with this? I don't know. Let's start where it starts in the movie with Henry Fonda. Henry fucking fonda henry fucking fonda he's so good in this movie so good all the like little things you can gleam from him from like the way he like the way it's see like the way you know, he's obviously for God's well obviously he's like acting like he's thinking you know he's not actually like thinking through the case or whatever in his head but he's acting like it you know and it just comes across so well that he's like you know kind of like mulling it over in his head and he's like you know coming up with these new ideas and you can like really like see it in the character's face and like believe it you know it's so, like, clean and well-acted without giving, like, the sterile feeling, you know? It's also another thing. We've seen movies from, like, the 40s, 30s, where the acting is, I'll be real, kind of wooden or kind of stilted. Yeah. This seems, like, overly naturalistic. Yeah. So natural. It seems really natural, especially from, like, Jur uh, number three. Yeah. He seems, like, really natural. I mean, the way he just, like, goes into it. He just starts fucking yelling at these guys. Also, I love Jur number three. Like, he acts really well. Okay, Henry Fonda not getting an Oscar nod. Okay, you know, life happens. Whatever. But this guy not getting a Best Supporting Actor nod blows my fucking mind. Like, he is so good in this movie. He so is really, good. really good in this movie. But, I mean, Best Supporting Actor, you know? Hey. <laughs> hey you know. Okay, who, do you think anyone else here is as good as Cobb is, like, under Fonda? Hmm... I mean, I'm not sure about the, like, the acting, but the character, I really like the character of Drew number four, the guy with the glasses, you know? Oh, yeah. How he just seems like, he's like the the foil, I think, to to Henry Fonda in the kind of way where he's still, like, smart, and he's, you know, taking in all these different points that Henry Fonda's making, but he's not one of these people with, like, this prejudice, like, Drew number three, or, like, Drew number, what is this, ten? Yes. You know, where they have these, like, prejudices of why they won't vote. But he's more of, like, calculating. He he it's knows the, why he won't vote. That's the thing. With juror number four, it's just logic. Like, he's only there and he's like, I'm voting guilty because that is the logical thing with the evidence presented. And then Henry Fonda's like, well, there's there's doubt in these pieces of evidence, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, yes, there's doubt in that one. I give you that and in that one. But this last piece of evidence, the eyewitness testimony, it's rock solid. There's no doubt in my mind that this wouldn't work. Thus, logically, he must be guilty. And then it all falls apart. It all falls apart. And then we go back to juror number three, who just refuses to break. It's one of those things where you hear him start going for it. And it's like he's stubborn. 
he's just angry. And then the whole thing with his son that we glean from it, where it's like, he's just angry his son left. And this is him kind of getting back at him. Yeah. That's what I'm kind of gleaming out of it. Yeah. I mean, that's that's basically what, what I think it boils down to is that, you know, he's just really angry at his at his son and like kids these days you know these kids these kids you know they have no respect for their elders and you know in the movie he doesn't have respect for his elders either exactly but the thing though is that he just feels like um he's like so against like the these kids these days you know his son like basically is like you know punched him when he was 16 i haven't seen him in two years and yeah you know he thinks that oh you know these kids are liable to do anything you know my own son punched me you know for for this kid from the slum to stab his own father you know it's not that big of a leap right one of those things you know and it's just like he he realizes that you know it's not his son that's on trial exactly i think that's what it is because i know you mentioned that juror three and juror 10 they're oh they're racist prejudice but i think juror 10 like that's his thing he's actually just an open racist yeah but juror three i don't know He's no, actually... he's prejudiced. He's not racist. Exactly. He's prejudiced. prejudiced. He's not racist. Whereas juror 10, I think... I think that's an interesting thing. Each aspect of the jurors is a different aspect of kind of society. Yeah. In developing, it's like, okay, who actually decides who's guilty, who's innocent? And you choose 12 peers, right? None of these guys are, are like that kid, except maybe juror number five. Like, yeah, because he was a slum like, kid. He's like, you know, I grew up in a slum, you know, I, I lived across from the L train, like, all my life, and all these different things, you know? I mean, even, like, juror number 12, who's, like, trying to, like, stir up business ideas in the, the, the jury, you know? He's like, over here, he's, he's trying to work. <laughs> Don Draper madmanning it up, but you're probably banging a secretary with a G&T. And then, you know, juror number 7 is, like, the everyman, you know? He just wants to go to the ball game, you know? Yeah, which is interesting, because juror number 7... He's like the comic relief at the beginning of the movie, right? Yeah. And then as it goes on, and then when he finally gets confronted by juror number 11, and you're just like, I was laughing at you before, but now I'm just kind of seeing through it as, you're kind of a scumbag because you have a human life in your hands, and a baseball game is more important. He just doesn't care. He just doesn't care. And I'm like, ah, man, I feel bad for laughing at his jokes in the beginning, but he was funny. Also, I do apologize to everybody that we're calling just them juror number because they, there's no names. There's no like you could call them by I like, I don't know their their real names. You know the actors' names, and you know it's gonna take me way too long to memorize that for this episode, so I I just won't. Yeah, but so, um, uh, while you're listening, you might as well pull up an IMDb and go go check out Henry Fonda's other movies. Yes. they're also pretty good. They're, they're very good, very <laughs> good. And that's the but that's a thing because that's also a point. We never know their names. Because they're yeah, they're we just don't the get that attached attached to any of the characters. I mean, we're supposed to obviously be following Henry Fonda through his like trials mm-hmm. here, his, his trials in the trial, exactly. Um, trial of Socrates, right? <laughs> through his his trials here to like kind of convince everybody that like hold on a minute, we have something to talk about here. It's not open and shut like you think it is, and we don't even know his name. You know, we don't know his name. We don't know the name of any of the other jurors. We don't even know the name of the guy or the kid that's. On, on trial. trial, yeah, we don't know the name of the kid that's on trial. His father, the old man, the woman in the window. We know nothing about anybody. We don't know anything. Like, there's no kind of like background to any of them. You get the, you gleam the background of these people like you would in real life. Speaking about like the eyewitnesses, right? When they bring it, it's like, oh well, the man he had a, he had a limp. We never get a flash to them. We have no idea if they actually had a limp. It's something they're inferring. Or the woman with the with the indentations in her nose. Oh, she had to have worn glasses, right? 
We never see that. We never see it. We're just taking it from what these guys are saying. And that's another thing is, even in a jury, even in, like, the court of law, the best you can get is a secondhand account. Yeah, it's it's amazing because it's, like, we're getting a secondhand account from these people. We never get to see the woman's indentations on her eyes. They could all be misremembering. Just like they suppose the woman is misremembering about seeing um, the boy murder his father through the window. And it's such an amazing like concept, you know. It's 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 so like wild to think about it, and it's the how naturally you gleam all these different things about all these different characters is just like a wonderful experience because it's like it seems like something very real, you know. You you don't know about juror number three's son until he brings out the photo in the movie and you kind of like, you know, the other jurors kind of pick up on that. You know, Henry Fonda, you know, at the end of the, the movie, everybody knows about it and they all know why he's doing it. You know, they've all picked up, picked up on it. And they're just sitting there and they're just watching him and they're just like, we know why you're doing this, but this kid is not your son. And then he finally breaks And they down. don't even have to say anything. Everybody just looks at him and he knows. Okay, speaking of not saying something and it meaning so much, is when juror number 10 starts going on that tirade. He's like, these kids, you know these kids. They're always, these people, them, these, these. Basically going as like prejudice rant or whatever. And everybody just quietly doesn't say anything. Just gets up and kind of like just walks away from the table. Yeah, moves away from the table, you know, faces the window, the, the coat rack, you know, sits on the bench on the side. You know, and just kind of turns has, the chair away from him. Has him go on his rant, you know, just like kind of tucker himself out. And then, you know, when he doesn't have anybody to listen to him, he just kind of kind of stops. And the guy across from him, Drew number four, who's like, you know, the very calm, logical. collected, logical guy, says like, are you done now? Like, sit down and don't him speak again. <laughs> and that moment, and he doesn't speak for the rest of the movie. He doesn't. And I that, mean, when they ask for his vote, he just shakes his head. And that right there is another thing because there's so there's so much going on in this movie thematically i know there's themes of like prejudice and doubt and all that stuff but here's a big one all right that i want to get a real answer from you is this movie an indictment or an endorsement of the american justice system neither 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 it shows it as it is it shows it as is Okay. Is, that, is that not the answer you're expecting? I was not expecting it. Okay, so... It's one of those things where it's like, you know, it's something that's so ingrained in, like, the American like, justice system. Like, it's not going to change all that much, right? Mm-hmm. But, like, you know, 12 people come in, 12 people come out, and there's only one way you can vote. You can vote either yes, or, or guilty, or not guilty. You know, there's no in-between. Like, I mean, technically, there's with a hung jury, but a hung jury. no one ever wants that. But 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 the thing is, though, is that the hung jury just says, "Well, you get another one." You know, <laughs> you, yeah, you get we're a, going on again. We go, we we go again. But sometimes, you know, cases get thrown out after a hung jury. They go, "Well, you know, the case wasn't that strong to begin with. It already it's, got one." It's a, hung a deadlock. Jury. You know, it happens. These things happen. But it's I I think it's both way. It can go. You can see it both ways. It's yeah. an indictment in the fact that. Henry, F- you could see it this way, right? Where Henry Fonda, like, um, blocked a case that was open and shut, right? Yes. Where it on paper, open and shut. On paper, open and shut. Two witnesses. And, I mean, you know, if Two you Two witnesses, confession about you, he bought the weapon. Yeah, he bought the weapon. You know, doesn't remember. Crummy alibi. Yeah, crummy alibi. Bought the weapon. Saw by the, saw by the woman across the street committing the murder. His or downstairs his downstairs neighbor. neighbor, yeah, his downstairs neighbor sees him run out the building, 
him specifically run out the building right after he hears the murder happen. And then the kid shows back up to the apartment three hours later with barely any alibi and gets caught by the police right there. I mean, it seems open and shut, right? And you could kind of see it as like an indictment to where if Henry Fonda could flip this case right back around, you know? It could be like, let's say, like a really shaky case, right? One that doesn't seem very open and shut at all. And you could see the reverse happening, you know, where 11 people think not guilty and one person thinks guilty. And it flips the other and way. And it flips the other way, you know? You could see it in an indictment at that way to where it's like, you know, you could see the system is flimsy, well, right? That that's the thing, because when you're looking at it in that perspective, I was almost thinking, like, you have this open and shut case and you walk in and 11 of these guys were ready to just say, open and shut why do we need to talk about it yeah but there's that one guy that's like well we got to talk about it and this if henry be... fonda wasn't there it w- he would just gone to jail yeah and, and you can the... see this as the endorsement right the other side of the coin to where it's endorsing the the system because you know that's this is why we have a lawyer for each side 12 jur- jurors i mean there was actually 14 jurors in this movie paid attention yeah they had two alternates <laughs> exactly yeah. um but so they have 12 jurors, you know, and it, it's kind of an endorsement to it where, you know, it has like enough of a safety net, you know, to where, you know, this one person kind of like comes up with the idea of like, hey, I don't think he's guilty, you know, and it's able to progress to where it should be, you know, to where at least logically over the course of this movie with this case. Yes. Where, you know, it should be, you know, that everything seems reasonably doubtful you know there's just there's just enough there to say there's a possibility there's something good possibility a good possible i think that's another thing i think people watch this movie and they get the idea of it's like oh i get called for juror duty and i'm gonna be henry fonda right i'm gonna i'm gonna flip the case but i'm like let's nine times out of ten cases are not this flimsy they're not most of the time it either is generally open and shut and you're basically just deciding okay, how open and shut is this really? I mean, from most of the, the law stuff I have gleaned from the interwebs. <laughs> you know, I'm, I, I, come on, internet lawyers here. But, but this, you know. you know, like, this is why there's, like, also stuff like jury selection, right? Yeah. But, I mean, we don't have to go into, like, the whole, you know, American justice, American system. justice system. Although, movie podcast. <laughs> here, here's another thing, though, about the movie is that uh, a reason why it might have done really well overseas is because it's a it's an insight into the American justice system. Actually, so this is a fun fact. It's not about this movie, but it's on the same line as that. So, we're going to watch a film on the AFI 100 list. It's called Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Mm-hmm. Basic premise of that movie is Jimmy Stewart. He's doing a filibuster, right? To block a bill that, if passed, is going to destroy a um, like a, a nature reserve, right? That he set aside to do like charity work for, for the state. And he's doing this filibuster and all this other stuff. And people in Russia imported the film and were using it as a propaganda piece to say, you see this here? This is the corruption in the U.S. government, right? But when the people watched it, they said, no, this is an endorsement showing how one man can stand against the government and get good done in the world. This is kind of in that line. It's one man standing against a a jury of, well, his peers, trying to just prove the point that we can't decide a man's fate if we are not sure. We can't send a man to... What is it? Um, I'd rather see uh, a thousand guilty men walk free than send one innocent man to jail. Which, I'm not sure if I agree with that statement. <laughs> but but that's, that's, that, that's a whole other thing. That's a whole other philosophical question. <laughs> that's a whole question. other philosophical question, yeah. But, 
what about ten? Six and a half? The needs of the many outweigh the the needs of the few and the the one. one. (laughs) Look. Got him. (laughs) God damn it. It's all comes back to Star Trek. (laughs) Fucking got him. All right. But, but like, with this movie, just, like, all... I mean, we can get into, like, all the small ways the characters, like, interact with each other. I mean, like, when... Henry Fonda turns his first uh, his first juror, right? When he turns over juror number nine yes. to his side. Juror number nine, he's like this older, kind of like peaceful kind of guy, you know, who's just kind of like level-headed, kind of being like, well, you know, what the thing he's convinced by is not any of the evidence, you know, that like Henry Fonda's like overturned. It's more it's of like... It's his conviction. Yeah, he's like, you know what? This guy's got a point. We, we gotta think about this, you know? And he he... They had, like, this vote at the beginning where Henry Fonda was, you know, like, okay, if we'll take a vote now, and if all 11 of you agree guilty, then I'll turn my vote to guilty and we'll be done with this. And juror number nine sees that as kind of like Henry Fonda being like, will anybody hear me, you know? And juror number nine goes, well, yeah, I'll hear you. I'll try I'll not not guilty to just see where this goes. Yeah, I'll not guilty to see where this goes, and I'll, I'll give you your platform to, like, speak on. He's like, you know... This guy's got a point. You know, I'm not necessarily saying that any of the evidence or the case is wrong, but that we just should give it more time to, you know, give it more time to like, uh, to mull it over, to like have it, have it stew a little bit in our minds, you know, to like really think it through. You know, this is a, this is a young man's life on the line, 18 year old, you know, first degree murder straight to the electric chair. I, I keep going back to the thing. I think juror number 11 keeps saying is, can you live with having the blood of a man on your hands? You will send him off to the electric chair. Can you do that? And juror number three is like, I absolutely can't because he's guilty. Like, and that's, a, and that's enough for him to just push him through. But everybody else is like, I don't, they, they get that, they get that second thoughts where it's like, he needs to be really guilty though. Yeah. Like it needs to be beyond a reasonable doubt. It's always an interesting phrase, beyond a reasonable doubt. What's reasonable? Because doubt, doubt's easy to get, but what what is the reasonable part of the doubt? Yeah, and, what's, like, and what I, is beyond that? Right? It's like, I saw Randy going in and rob a, and rob a liquor store, right? Mm-hmm. But um, I saw it, like, through my car window, then through the shop car window, and he was running pretty fast and in and out. Was it really, Randy? Like, if I gave that testimony... I smoke a bowl, like, halfway... I smoke a bowl halfway through the crime. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, man. Like... Is, is that a good enough testimony where it's like, I saw him through my car window, through the shop window, and I saw him run up, rob, like, steal stuff out of the register and run out. Is that enough? Would the, is that is that good enough testimony? Was he wearing a mask? You know, did he did he have like a, a shirt with a large collar to obscure his face? A hat? How many posters were on the window? How many posters were on the window to obscure you, your vision? Yeah, have you ever been to a liquor store in LA? There's a lot of posters on a lot of windows. Your car have tinted windows? <laughs> was it at night? Was you know what time of day was it? You have your headlights? Is on? there a fog? <laughs> There's there, so many things. There, you know, every little detail of that one you know quote unquote mini testimony. There's thousands of variables that change whether or not, well, I, I can doubt but that. where's the line of where it's reasonably doubtful, you know? Is is it the fog? Is it the posters? How many posters does it take to hit them to a reasonable without marker? You know? Does <laughs> I'm, it going four? About, I'm going about, like, six. Six, 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 six posters? posters? you're walking. In it doesn't matter on the poster's size. If, if know, it's, it's those it's six, by, it's, it's those 12 by 12 Budweiser posters <laughs> on, on the liquor store down the street. You, you get two of those, you're walking in my book. You're, <laughs> you're, free, walking you're a free man. 
but it's just like you know, all these like little things build up you know it's just like the old man don't did he really get to his door in 15 seconds i mean they timed it it's about 40 seconds yeah but it's another thing where it's like even juror number three said he wasn't walking that slow again henry Fonda's like i'll walk a little bit faster whatever but it's another thing where it's like how can you mimic a bum leg how do you mimic a bum leg and i mean was the guy in like a panic you know I mean, did, I mean, did he did he run as fast as he could, you know, or did he kind of meander there? I mean, they're talking about a guy who seems like to be like pretty old with a bum leg from a stroke. From a stroke, yeah. you know, did he really get to his front door in fifteen seconds? It's like fifty feet, you know, fifty four feet or something like that. Well, the other thing is you have the the mm. woman who saw the kid through the window, where it's like, oh, she was wearing glasses, and they make a point where. Well, you don't well, wear what kind glasses. of glasses? Well, you don't wear glasses to bed. Yeah, you don't wear glasses to bed. Then they ask, maybe she's farsighted. Maybe she, maybe they're just reading glasses. Yeah. And they're well, like, well, we don't know. Yeah, we don't know. We well, don't know what kind of glasses she wears. We know that she wears some kind of glasses. We don't know what kind. They could have been sunglasses. Right? But she has the indents on her on her nose that she wears glasses. And this, this could mean that she wears just normal glasses, like juror number four, juror number two. Juror number 12. They all wear glasses. They know. This is what gets juror number four, is that he understands, like, she probably couldn't have seen him all that well. 60 feet away. Through an L train. Through an L train. You know, while she's trying to go to sleep without glasses on. I don't know. I don't know. Seems pretty fishy to me. Seems. Flips him. Seems pretty sus. I I would send that shit right out of the pod bay door. Flips him, flips juror number 12, who had just flipped back over to guilty. Yeah. On the same testimony, yeah. but under scrutinization, flips him back to not guilty. And then all that leaves is juror number three. And you know, it's not even about the kid on the stand. It's about his own kid. Such a good performance. How oh do you not God. win an Oscar for that? That's the Oscar clip. Well, <sighs> because the movie's not very flashy in any way. Like, It really isn't. Nothing... Like, That's something we should talk about is... Okay, where did you see this for the first time? Most people I know see this in, like, English class. High school, right? You saw it in English class? Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna guess this movie made a much bigger impact on you than the other 12 horny teenagers in the room. Well, yeah. I mean, I loved this movie. As soon as I saw it, I was like, wow, that was so good. That was like amazing. You know, use my catchphrase. You know, so good. So good. (laughs) But, like, CLO makes fun of me for saying that for being Ben to her now. Oh, really? (laughs) Yes. She's the one who keeps listening to that episode, and she's just like, why does he keep saying that? (laughs) Apparently, I said it like 15 times that episode. That's part, I cut out like another 15 of you saying that for time. But that's a thing. So, I think a lot of people, when they watch this now, it's in high school or English classes. And let's be honest, most movie you watch in high school, you're not really going to dig. Yeah. 90% of the time, you're not going to pay attention to playing your phone. I watched Don Quixote. Well, yeah, well, that was in Mr. Casillas' class, and that man was was a saint. He was a saint. Yes. But this movie is not flashy at all. Black and white, you can argue it's uh, kind of... Maybe not slow, but methodically paced. Yeah, it's methodically paced. And it, there's no action. There's not a fight scene. There's not There's anything. a little bit of action. There's a little bit of action. But, like, not like action. You yeah, know, not, not like action with a capital A. Not like Arnold Schwarzenegger shows up or anything. Yeah. Like, it's, well, it's got, like... There's no a... one runs in this movie. Yeah. I'll put it like that. Nobody there's runs no, in this There's movie. no running. There's no... Nobody Somebody is... Somebody almost gets stabbed. I, he, he was... Juror 3 was not going to stab Henry Fonda. Are you sure? It looked like he was going to stab him. And then everybody yeah. everybody thought like, he was going to stab him. Everybody's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And no, no, like, no. You know why Juror 3 wasn't going to stab Henry Fonda? 
because that would made Henry Fonda right. True. Juror three Fucking would never have done it. True. <laughs> that, that's how I know. I'm like Juror three would never have done it. And it's not like there's a lot of special effects in this movie. I mean, there's, there's some rain outside of a window, but like, come on now. <laughs> like, rain. And that's another thing. Like, you can even judge the whole movie on that, where you can tell this was a pretty lower budget, definitely a TV like crew. This feels like a studio. There's, it looks. I, I don't want to say it looks cheap. But it, it definitely do, do kind of look cheap though. It do kind of look cheap. <laughs> it do kind of look cheap. It's the though. same thing where, like we said earlier, it looks like it's in a Twilight Zone episode. It does. It looks like it's an episode of like Perry Mason or something yes. like that. But then it's the whole thing where the best part about a movie is the story and the performances and everything else. This is like matter. a huge like exemplar, you know, like a like a crowning jewel of you know you. All you need is a good story and performances. Like this is like the crowning jewel of that. There's nothing fancy here. There's, it's it's anti-fancy. Everything is plain in this. No one's wearing, like, a wacky outfit to, like, catch your attention in the first five minutes. I mean, the most wacky thing anybody wears is Jertolf's glasses. They look like they've been bejeweled or whatever. <laughs> Randy, it was the style, man. Gotta get the, the, the Buddy Hollies going. Huge, like, yeah, thick-rimmed glasses. But it's like, um... Oh, we, have, we haven't even talked about, like, the, the heat. Yes, that's another thing. Because it's in a studio, but you feel the heat in this movie, and okay, well, the, this is probably why the, it took three the, weeks. The plot of so part of the plot of the movie is that it's, a, it's the hottest day of the year, right? While this is all happening, by the way, it rains later on in the day, so it's going to be hot and sticky. So bad. Worst part. Awful. It'll feel like Florida. Feel like Florida, except where are these people supposed to be? Like They're New York. New York. Yeah. Right. Where everybody's from. New York. It's New York. New York. <laughs> God. But. You know, and this is kind of like one of these things that's used to kind of convey this, um, like, heated up tension in the room. Because it's like, everybody's literally hot and uncomfortable. The fan doesn't work for, like, the first half of the movie. Exactly. Until it starts raining and then they turn the lights on. Well, until it becomes six to six, it becomes even, and then the fan starts working when they turn the lights on. Mm-hmm. And it starts raining. Symbolism. 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 Oh, the, 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 rain, symbolism. the rain will make you clean. Mm-hmm. It'll wash away your sins. Uh, All that good stuff. Right. But, anyways, it's it really, like, helps portray the tension, you know? How everybody's getting, like, all hot and bothered. Like, physically hot and bothered because it's hot and they're sweating and it's rain. It's about to rain outside, so the humidity's, like, off the charts. And they're having, like, this really, really heated in a different way. conversation. Yes. And that's probably why this movie took, like, three weeks to shoot. Because you notice how each of the actor's wardrobe subtly changes throughout the film where it's like oh you get like obviously like the pit stains people start dabbing their fucking forehead and shit like yeah they use they have like the one guy has like multiple rags that he like throws out one rag that thing is like you know trenched it's it's, it's worthless to him and goes and gets another one from his coat yeah or like you know people are like you know they're like stripping down the pieces of their their outfit you know and then you get the they're, they're taking the armor off and, yeah the, the, the one guy in juror number uh, seven, you know, where at one point in the movie, he's just freaking drenched, you know. His whole, like, shirt is just wet all yeah. around the chest. It, it, it went from a nice white to a dark black. And then you have, like, this other form of symbolism with juror number four where somebody has to lean over and ask him, you ever sweat? No. no. <laughs> but he does sweat when um, Henry Fonda finally gets to him and it's like, all right, you're questioning his alibi, right? Yes. What did you Monday? I went out to dinner. What did you do Tuesday? Uh, I played bridge. Thursday, me and my wife went to the movies. What movie you see? 
I saw this movie. What was the second bill? The, it was um the, uh, 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 some this and this and this, and then during number two is like that's not the name of the movie. The name of the movie is this. Oh, sorry, sorry. Well, okay, who was in it? I I don't know. It was a B picture. Okay, are you under pressure for that interrogation? No. Beat a sweat. Um, yeah, and then he starts clip. sweating. You know, he's like, damn it, he's right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, this kid, you know, supposedly comes home after, you know, having a fight with his father. Comes home to find his father dead. Murdered. Cops pick him up right then and there and just start grilling him. And doesn't remember the movie. He just went went to see. And Dre number four is not under any pressure here. He's not an 18-year-old kid. Who just found his father dead in his apartment. Who's about to get beat up by two Irish cops. Yeah, he's about to get beat up by two Irish cops. It's one of those things where there's so many moments like that in the movie. Where somebody hard, fast on the, like, this is the piece of evidence I will not bend on because this is the evidence that I feel locks the case. And and then then somebody goes, well, think about it this way. And he goes, oh, you're right. You're right. It's like the the whole thing with the... There's just enough there. With the uh, the stabbing, right? Where it's like, oh, you know, stabbed in a... a downward a motion. Downward motion, you know, into the chest. And then juror number... What is it? Juror number five. It's like, well, that that's not how anybody uses a switchblade. You know, you, you, you stab them underhanded like this. You and never go overhand. You, you, never have go switch, overhand. you have to switch the blade over. It's a switch. You can't just open it like that. Yeah, and then I think that, that flips, like, juror numbers, like, six and seven. I Definitely think. flips juror number two. Yeah, flips juror number two. And they're like, you know... He's right. If this is a kid, you know, supposedly this kid with, like, this rap sheet of, you know, getting caught with, like, a knife and whatnot. Being in knife fights. Quote, unquote, you know, he's handy with a knife, as they say. Well, then why would he use a switchblade like that? Nobody uses a switchblade like that, especially somebody who uses switchblades. I think the old man neck downstairs did it. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. <laughs> well, It's that... one of those things, also, where it's like, well, if the kid didn't do it, who the fuck did it? That's the thing I get at at this movie, where this movie revels in doubt and not answers, yeah, like hard answers. You don't we, get any answers. We in never because they always, you know, the like the jurors, you know, three, four, all, all of them keep bringing up. Well, this are the facts, but thing is, in this movie, they show well, facts are malleable. Yeah, some facts aren't even facts; they're just stories that lonely old men tell to feel important, like juror number um, nine. nine points out. Or, or things where it's like, well, maybe they thought it was the truth. They kind of put two different things together and kind of, like, assume that's what happened. Like, uh, the woman did when she gave her testimony. There's all these things where facts can be malleable in this instance, but we want the truth. And I think that's another thing. People tend to look at this movie as being, oh, it's about truth. It's not, it's about, not truth. about truth. It's, it's not about, about truth at all. It's about doubt, reasonable doubt. Like that's the thing. The justice system isn't based on convicting a man on what is true and what is a lie. It is basing it on is he innocent or guilty beyond reasonable doubt. You know, that's the thing. If there's an if there's just a little well, bit the of thing doubt, though, isn't innocent. Thin. They don't they don't proclaim anybody innocent just at a not trial. Guilty. Just not guilty. Mm-hmm. That's the point, man. What is it? It's innocent until proven guilty. Innocent until proven guilty. You know. Hmm. It's one of these things that, like, people, you know, it's kind of, I don't want to get, like, too political here, but it's one of those things that, like, you know, people have, like, kind of forgotten over the years where it's, like, innocent until proven guilty, you know, everybody kind of gets this mob mentality going, like, very quickly, you know, it's like somebody gets accused of something online, and then everybody gets up on, you know, like, Twitter or something all about it, you know, it's like, let them have their day in court. 
Well, that's the thing. That's the 11 other jury members. Yeah. We need more Henry Fondas in the world. You know, people can, like, sit there and go, like, wait a minute, you know? Like, let's think about this rationally, you know? Give, give them the benefit of the doubt. Let's let's see where this takes us, you know? If they're guilty, they're guilty, you know? I, I won't have any qualms about it. You know, it's, Henry Fonda says that, in, like, in the movie, where it's just like, you know, I don't... If, he if just you can does... prove to me he's guilty beyond reasonable doubt, find one piece of evidence, I'll, I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. Give it to you happily. But it's just, you know... Let, let's think about it rationally. Let's let's go by one by one, you know, each piece of little, each piece of evidence, each testimony, you know, even like the knife itself, you know, it's not a unique knife. Close, but it's not. Yeah. And that's the thing, you know, oh, the pawn shop dealer said he'd never seen another one like it. And Henry Fonda literally just buys another one, what, two blocks away from the kid's house? Yes. And I'm like, okay, so does that mean the pawn shop? dealer is lying like well it's not the same pawn shop well i know it's not the same pawn shop but maybe it was like was that pawn shop dealer maybe inflating the truth maybe he's like i've never seen one in my shop before but exactly i bought it off of a guy who brought it in you know maybe he's like i've seen him around the neighborhood well that's the thing some people just like inflate the truth a little bit or they'll tell you you (laughs) yeah or tell you the quote-unquote basic truth it's basically what happened that's not what we're looking for, you people. Exactly. And this movie kind of gets at those people. Me. Whatever. Yeah. I would be terrible. Never ask me to be a, a character witness for any of your That's not like I'm going to ask you. The police are going to ask you. They should not. They should know to just, just, just walk away. <laughs> God. But yeah, it's Please, so angry, if you have my brother on your jury, ask for 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 a new fucking jury. You know, no, we got no, any, Randy. We I'll got any the, alternates? Already, I'll take the Henry Fonda role. I will, I will get you off. Yeah, well, also, what if that's not what we need no, here? Dude, here's the backstage drama to this. Henry Fonda was a plant by the defense to get the kid off. He could've was the been. he was the ringer. He could have been a plant. I mean, that's that's what jury selection's for. You know, it's supposed to try and get people on your side. But the thing is that both sides get a little bit of that, you know? The prosecution got juror number three, got juror number ten. Basically, I mean, yeah. like, like juror number three, you know, he's got a he's got a bad rap with his kid, you know. Juror number ten thinks that the 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 um defendant is one of them. As soon as he says <laughs> he's one of them, you just you you, 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 already, you already know you, you gotta, already know. Even, even though the the kid, you know, because we do get to see the kid for like you know for justice just a little a bit, a single shot, a single shot. And you're not sure what kind of them he's supposed to be. <laughs> it's really vague. I'm like, he looks like a white kid, I guess. I, he, I don't know. He look he looks like maybe Jewish or Italian, or maybe or... Italian. I don't. Is is he supposed to be like Puerto Rican? Is he Irish? Is he Fra- I have, he no, have idea. no idea. Like the kid is very nondescript. He looks know? he, he looks like is... a young Joe Pesci from Goodfellas. But it's just kind of like, what what kind of they is this guy supposing to? But the thing is that you don't need to know. You just need to know that he is prejudiced. Yes. And that... It doesn't need to be against any specific thing. You already know. But that's just a thing, like... Okay, so this movie is great, right? Amazing. Amazing. So simple, so elegant, so crisp, clean. Just everything about it works. There's nothing wrong with the movie. Surprised it's down so low. Honestly, yeah. For what it is, like this is this is an incredible movie. So I'm just gonna get to that that question. You know, we'll get to this round back to the movie some more and then we'll probably see it that. out. So this comes in at eighty seven. Why so low? 
Is it just because it's not very flashy? I think it's because it's simple. Do you think it's because it feels more like a stage stage play than an actual film? Yeah, I think it's because, you know, there it's it's because there's nothing flashy about it. Like this is one of the strengths of the movie, but it's also one of the things where it can kind of like lean on it, you know, or it can kind of crutch itself up against it. But it's it shows like Cindy Lumet's like ability to make something out of like not a lot. Yeah. You know, and it's one of these things where it's like if I was like a film student and I saw 12 Ringing Men, I'd be like I could make that. Yeah. I, I could make that. Just just get some people together with a good script and just a room and a camera. I could do that. Yeah. That's the crazy thing. It goes back to what I was saying. Great performances, great story, everything else is window dressing. And this is pretty much on point. You have great actor. There's not a bad performance or a bad actor in this entire film. No. Nah. And then you have this script that I would argue is a masterpiece. Like, this script is insanely good. Every little thing everybody says in this movie, like, adds up to something. Exactly. And, I mean, I guess going on personal information, because when I say, oh, this is like a stage play, I mean, we've seen this performed on stage. Our sister played the Henry Fonda role in the uh, local production of 12 Angry (laughs) Jewelers, because they couldn't call it 12 Angry Men, because half the production was uh, girls. So... Oh, the theater production. It was a theater production in Southern <laughs> California. Uh, but yeah, and it's it's just this almost timeless kind of story because yeah, I could we can we watched it now in the year of our Lord twenty twenty something, and I think it still holds up. It still holds up, and it's not like the it's not like the same kind of uh, like justice system that they had back then. I mean, it was it was a little different back then, but I mean, you know, it's very similar to it is today that's the other thing they don't get bogged down in the justice system it's just guilty not guilty and reasonable doubt the the super foundational stuff of how do you convict somebody yeah how do you, how do you go about doing something like that how do, you, how do you go about you know really deciding something that's gonna like weigh on this person for the rest of their life but suppose the kid did do it because we don't know kid might have done it kid might have done it he might have done it. But the movie is far too low on the AFI list. Even, right. Even for, like, you know, because there are other movies where it's, like, you get both the, like, good story with good performances and the window dressing. Yeah. You, you do get those movies. It's, like, 12 Ring Men shows that you don't need the third thing. And the other thing about this is it's also just a testament to just how a great a filmmaker Sid Lumet was. This yeah. was his first film. His first feature film. First yeah. feature film. And then he goes on and he does um, Dog Day Afternoon. Uh, I believe he did Serpico. Yes, he did Serpico. I mean, the, the guy was and a great those director. Are, these three are very different movies. Very different movies. Mm-hmm. He, al- he also did the uh, prestige drama uh, Murder on the Orient Express, the 1970s version, I think. Uh-huh. But that's the thing. He had nothing except... Grant, he had Henry Fonda, which... That's a that's a big game. Yeah, but the thing, though, is that he only had Henry Fonda. All the rest of the cast are all TV actors. See, and they all gave great performances. See, that's a thing. I think it's not like Henry Fonda's performance here is like so much higher than everybody else's either. I would I would argue he's like he's great in this movie, but I don't even know if he's the best actor in the movie. A, yeah, yeah, I could see him not being the best actor in this movie. I mean, it's just one of those things where it's like you know you have Henry Fonda, you know, he's this like larger than life type of guy. Well, it's not even that. It's like when you. This is kind of weird, because I don't know how many people nowadays know just how big of a movie star Henry Fonda was. He was big. He was, like, 
what category would you put him in? Like, would he was like actually he was like Tom Hanks of yeah. his day. He was he always played the hero when he he played against type. I think once in his career yeah. when he did Once Upon a Time in the West for Sergio Leone back. God, I think in like the late sixties, maybe in the seventies, and that was like the only time people were like, "How can you, how can you do this? How, how could you, how could you have Henry Fonda play the villain and Sergio Leone is like, watch me, <laughs> basically Chad Leone coming in." But that's the, but that's like the thing. Imagine, oh god, I would, I would kind of want to see this remade, but with Tom Hanks. But I'm like, it wouldn't be as good. Nah, it would not be as good. Actually, okay, fun fact: they did actually remake this, but William Friedkin directed the directed the remake. Mm, that doesn't sound so bad. Randy's like, I'm back, I'm back in. <laughs> he he, Gene Hackman. I mean, I kind of, I kind of doubt it could really hold a, like a, a, a candle, to a this. candle to this, you know. I, well, that's the crazy thing. It's such a simple story, and as long as you get great actors, is this? Do you think this is the best version of this kind of story we could ever get? Of like a like a you know people just kind of sitting around and talking over an issue. Yes, an important issue, kind of like this. Probably this is probably like if not the best, like top three. Like th- there's there's not a lot of movies like this where. Also, this is another thing, like, where I'm, like, kind of predisposed to, to like, in- really enjoy this movie. Because it's, like, it's just a long conversation and you read philosophy books well, for well, fun. Well, here's the thing, though. is like, this is just, like, a long, like, dialogue between all these characters. Like, you could call this movie a dialogue, right? Yeah. Because that's all that really happens in the movie is just the other characters, like, talking, uh, talking over this issue, right? And it's, like, I actually enjoyed, like, not, you know, I didn't like them, but I enjoyed them. Right, like like full on enjoyer mode mm-hmm. with um platonic dialogues, you know, just people just talking over issues and like coming to conclusions and you know going back and forth over arguments. It's one of these things where it's just like this is natural. This is like how people do these things, and it's one of those things in movies that sometimes things happen. It's not very natural. Yeah, right. Where it's just like well, nobody would really do that, you know. Everything in this movie, even the like more fantastical things that happens in the movie like when juror number 10 goes on his rant and everybody kind of like walks up and turns away from him it's not that fantastical right the the other thing to go to the naturalistic point of this because that where everybody gets up and walks away and no one just like yeah that's the fantastical element the most natural instance is when henry fonda and juror number one are talking to each other and he just is like oh it's pouring rain and he just kind of goes on this story about it like ah you know the rain i uh you know, I had this football game last year. It was raining just like this. You know, we had this kid. He was, he was an ox, you know, going through the game. And he's just doing this. And it's very natural. Yeah. And it's a conversation I could argue I've had before. You know, you're waiting, at a, you're waiting at a light or something. You're waiting at a bus stop. And a guy just, like, strikes up a conversation while you're waiting. And that's that kind of conversation. And it's weird. Because it's not about the, anything. It's not about anything. It, and there's all these bits of dialogue that happen where you're like, it's not really about anything. I got this bait ball game to go at noon. Oh, you're a, oh, you're a Boston fan. Ah, oh, come on, what are you even doing here? And that's the <laughs> it's thing. like you're getting hit in the head by a crowbar twice a day. <laughs> exactly, and that's the thing where it already sets up a dynamic of I'm against you for a super for a superficial reason. Yeah, and that's kind of a thing where a lot of the jurors are against juror number five for superficial reasons. Yeah, because he's a slum kid, you know? He doesn't know nothing. <laughs> exactly. And he's like, you ain't got a right to talk to me like that, all right? I'm a, I'm a grown man. I ain't no kid, you know? Yeah, I came there, but I ain't, I ain't a bad guy. And it's mm, so good. It's all good. 
even the dialogue where you're like, oh, that's just like throwaway dialogue for characters. No, it's, it's, all, never, it's, it's never it's never throwaway in this movie. Every little thing means something. Even the like the, the dialogues that are about nothing, like they add to the theme of the movie. It's like the the Journal of One when he's talking about the ball game, you know, we, he ends that whole thing with being like, ah, oh, you know, that was murder. It's mean that like the, the rain murdered the game, right? Yeah. But also being like the, the, it was murder like we are talking about murder in this courtroom you know like and the other thing they had the kid who was this hard who was this ox hard-headed just plowing through all this stuff alluding to your henry fonda you're just plowing through these lines of things you're you're really you know breaking down all the quote-unquote facts of the case and really getting at what's going on and, and it, the rain's coming down it's it's murder it's murder that's what we're really talking about it's so good. Every little thing in this movie works, and it's so natural, and everything just, like, progresses in such an even way, you know? It's it's not like the, the movie just, like, ramps up really quickly, you know? Like, it's it's not an action movie. Like, everything, like, it's slow and methodical, but without being, like, too slow. Like, some other movies looks at the poster of 2001 A Space Odyssey. You can eat a dick, sir. 2001 Space Odyssey slow. is a masterpiece. Way too slow. You gotta, you gotta get into it, man. But uh, and but also this, that's another thing. This is a tight ninety, which tight. I appreciate. Yes, we've had a couple of a two-hour. Well, especially since we're like looking at one. the at the BFI list, you know, BFI has a nine-hour, a seven-hour movie. Oh man, I can't, I can't wait. It's gonna be good. I can't wait for the seven-hour movie. Oh god. <laughs> but that's the thing. A tight ninety minutes tells the whole story without leaving anything out that it's supposed to, like it. The whole thing, though, is that this movie does kind of leave everything out. Exactly. It How do you only... make a movie that leaves everything out? All the hard facts and details, it leaves out. It only gleams little bits of things as it goes along for you as the audience to process. Like the jurors are processing. It's... Alright, I'm just gonna I'm gonna throw it out there. So, um, up to this point, I think this might be the best movie we've watched so far. You think so? I think... Because um, my, my hard and fast was Goodfellas. And then, yeah, you know, I kind of, like, gave in to Sophie's Choice a little bit. But I think this is probably actually the best movie we've watched so far. I, in terms of, like, just filmmaking, story, performance. You know what? I'm, I'm glad to say that. Like, that's one of those things where it's like, I'm, I'm really happy that we've watched, a, like, a new movie on the list. And it's just like, yeah, way better than everything we've seen before. You know, it's, it's good to get to that point to where it's like, you know what? I think we've hit a new milestone on the list, you know? Yeah, we finally got through the ones where it's like, okay, these are on here for historical reasons you know yeah. Yankee Doodle Dandy is a it's or on it's, there for a very historical these film. movies are kind of like arguably better than one another you know yeah we can you know split hairs and whatnot but we get to 12 Angry Men and we're like this, this movie's really good from end to end everything's so tight nothing is not left out there's nothing bad in this there's not a single thing that I could honestly critique without just being petty yeah I, I mean what could what what could you even critique while being petty the rain looks kind of fake. I, honestly, the rain looks fine enough. I, I mean, maybe the fact it looks a little cheap. It looks like a TV production, but the thing is, you stop caring about. Te- you stop. You stop caring as soon as well. Another they, thing, the, though, the characters is that start talking. It makes it also like plays into the movie's benefit because it makes it more realistic. Jury room, right? Yeah, the jury room's not going to be expensive looking. It's gonna, you're not going to have high back chairs, you know, <laughs> nice <laughs> mahogany table, you know, cigars laying around, <laughs> bottle of scotch brought in by the cocktail waitress. Yeah, it's a freaking jury room. You know, they want you in and out there as fast as possible. You know, <laughs> they, they, they make it uncomfortable they, on purpose. Yeah, it's like it's supposed to be like the bare minimum. You know, it's the the 
what's it called? The courthouse is trying to, you know, do whatever they can on the budget, you know? Any last things you want to say about uh, this one? Well, I don't know. It's just like, I'm, I'm the, so fascinated by like the whole fact that it's a, it's a movie about gleaming things, you know, about like, you, you don't know what happens. And it's so much in movies where it's like you, like they just show you, right? Like they, they just they, show you yeah. what happens, you know? And they hit you over the head with the point of the movie. Yes, exactly. But this, this movie kind of just like, it, it shows you that you can make a movie with with not with none of that with with none of the important things actually being shown to the audience you know if we don't get to see the kid murder or not murder his father we don't get to see him run down the stairs go to the movies come back and be interrogated we don't we need to see none of the witnesses we only we see, don't see one bit of one bit of evidence we never see the lawyers we never see a closing argument we all the only things we see is the the jurors the alternate jurors the kid the um judge the judge and then like the 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 like, bailiff yeah the bailiff yeah that those are the only people seen through, through the entire movie the cast has like 19 people total yeah and and fun fact beyond that the judge out of all those people is the only one that has lines that are not the jurors i think i think the bailiff says some stuff at the beginning he might i, I think he, he says he, he like, says this way gentlemen <laughs> he says like With right, no 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 he <laughs> says uh um uh, alternate jurors, you're dismissed. All right, this way, gentlemen. That's all he says. It. That's all he says in the movie. And you can also another thing you can glean from the movie is like the um, the judge. You know, at the very beginning when he's like kind of like um, telling the jury how to act, he's he. I mean, he, it seems like he even he himself thinks the kid's guilty. You know, he's he just, is so nonchalant. He's, he's so not even looking at it. He's, he's playing with something on his like, table. Yeah, he's just kind of like you know giving the spiel that he's given a million times, and he's just like you know this seems like an open and shut case to him. And he's like okay, you know. How surprised do you think he was when he got the not guilty back? He was probably like, really? No shit. No shit. Well, right. right. Not guilty. You're free to go. All right. Here's the keys. Good day. Good day, sir. All right. Next case. <laughs> uh, it's so good. Like, it's one of those things where it's like there's nothing left behind, you know, with the movie. It's like sometimes like things get lost in the movie, right? Where it's like, you know, these kind of like side plots kind of get left out you know yeah or it's like they get started and then they're finished like the next scene and they're like that wasn't really necessary satisfying or, or it's they like get they started get... and they peter out halfway yeah. through and then it's like oh that's for the sequel or it's like you know yeah or, or it's stuff where it's like it gets ended at the end of the movie right this like side plot but it's not in a satisfying way or anything you're mm-hmm. just kind of like they just start that to like you know gum up traction or something to like make something out of nothing so the movie could move on you know to give you something in the middle of the movie so you don't get bored yeah exactly it's you know there's there's nothing that's kind of like overlooked in this movie you know and it's it's something where it's like you you something will get overlooked if you don't make a movie in only two rooms or three rooms or whatever this movie's made in this movie it's not generally shown in like film schools but really and not generally it's one of those things where in film schools, their point is to show you, like, foreign films, like, expose you to, like, exterior media uh-huh. kind of thing. And you only really watch a couple of American films that are considered very important, or unless you're taking something very specific. But this, this is taught in, like, high schools. This should be taught in high schools in just, like, in, like, storytelling. This is a great story. And then you, I think this movie should even be, like, analyzed in, like, legitimate, like, curriculum in schools. Because I think you just understand more about, like, storytelling about about our society just talking about this movie. Like, it also th- shows people that are, like, you know, with, like, a creative edge, right? Who are, like, trying to be writers or, you know, they're trying to write. 
books or screenplays or you know just all these different anything, things anything that it's just like you you could start with nothing to see where it takes you you know you have 12 jurors in a room well what was the case about it was about a murder well do we know anything else past that no there's the drama there's the drama you know like to have them decide you know what's gonna happen they don't they don't know very much about this like the audience doesn't know anything you know the jurors barely know more than that all right so um yeah i could go on a rant yeah all day about how this movie is just so perfect can, can i get one more quote it, for it, the so good <laughs> That's that's Randy's catchphrase. We're gonna put on a T-shirt. You can buy it on our on our Patreon if we ever oh, get one. Oh God! Uh, but yeah, so uh, this movie, uh, two two giant thumbs two up, two big thumbs up. Watch this movie. Watch it again. Think about all the little things that are said throughout the movie. All the little gestures. All the characters do. I don't know. Looking at this movie, I just keep going back to the fact that it should be going up higher. This is probably going to be one that's going to carry up pretty far with both of us yeah. when we do our next milestone episode. But next week we're finally platoon. Getting platoon. We're getting Ooh. our war movie. I'm pretty excited for platoon. I'm not going to lie. It's an even two hours dead. Even two hours, even two hours directed by Oliver Stone. It's a Vietnam war film. Oliver Stone. I believe he served two or three tours in Vietnam. Holy shit, really? Yeah. And and then like two or three tours in like as a Marine or yeah. Army in the field. Like he had like combat. So, you know, I think he got like a Purple Heart or some other stuff. But yeah, served served there, comes back to America, goes to film NYC film school, gets taught by Martin Scorsese mm-hmm. as his film teacher. And then this is the movie, you know, he makes in 1986, I believe. After he wrote the script for uh, Scarface. Oh, really? Yeah, he wrote, he was a screenwriter before he started making films. Yeah, he wrote the script for Scarface, and then a couple years later, he makes Platoon. I believe he's already making films, but we're going to get into that. Um, but yeah, very excited to see this. I'm excited to see Platoon. I don't think it's, it's going to be as good as 12 Angry Men and, like, you know, the technical aspects of it being, like, you know, just, like, very tight and, like, very... Um... You know, just like everything meaning something. You know, very compact, very compact. You know, where it's like you could hardly slice through the thing with a butcher's knife. Yeah, but I think it's going to be a lot like uh, more like visually interesting. And also, it has Willem Dafoe. Ooh, that's going to be good. (laughs) He's like, all right, I'm back in. This might be better. We'll get back to it. I love Willem Dafoe, especially in uh, Lighthouse. Obviously, so good, so good. But um, yeah, everybody, if you wanted to catch up with that, listen to more of our stuff, you can catch us on every podcasting platform you can find us and that is all under the film odyssey or the film odyssey podcast you can also find us on our youtube channel in the frame where you can find this podcast as well as one other podcast the film club podcast which i do with my girlfriend where we talk about nostalgia picks good movies bad movies weird movies fun movies and just shit we find in the blockbuster bargain bin um but yeah other than that any last words randy not guilty I still think you do. Alright, everybody, have a good night. You know them. (laughs) Jesus. They. (laughs) Alright, everybody, have a good night.